Amen? Amen. You awake? Yes, yes. All right, everyone go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is um, the primary passage we're going to be in today. And really the question that we're asking is this, what is baptism all about? This is something that as a church, we've been going through what we believe as a church. And, and honestly, NBC is a place where we have people who grew up Catholic, people who grew up Baptist, people who grew up Lutheran, people who grew up, I totally have no clue or care about religion. And all of a sudden, this is where you found Jesus. And so very much like Dick Seavers and Vernon Johnson, who back in 1979 had to figure out what do we believe as a church, we're in that same place right now as a, as a people where we're asking the same question. And these two guys who had different views on baptism had to figure out what does Scripture say and what is Manuka Bible going to be all about. Now, this is not a sermon. This whole thing is a commercial. It is a commercial for you to listen to the Holy Spirit and actually, if you believe, if you believe in Christ, to step into and be baptized. And that freaks a lot of you out. Right now, you're like, why did we come this weekend? Why? Why? Well, I'm so glad you did because what I want you to do is I want you to have your phone ready because if you have not been baptized, I want to challenge you to really pray throughout this service, God, do you want me to step into this? And then I want you to go over to manukabible.org where you can like just check out up there at next steps and then go and click on upcoming events because guess what? We got a baptism that's upcoming. And it's an event. And so it's there, upcoming events. And you go ahead and click on that, and then it's going to take you to this. And you just go ahead and, and click there, and you'll have an opportunity to sign up for the baptisms that are going to be in January. Now, that's a big deal at our church. We don't think of this as like a small little extracurricular. This is hardcore big deal as far as we're concerned. So it's such a big deal. I'm going to have this annoying, overly long web address on the screen the entire part of the service because this is not a sermon, it is a commercial. It is a commercial for us to listen to the Holy Spirit and actually step into it. Not just say, oh, yes, this is fascinating. I somewhat agree. No, I want action steps. We're actually stepping in. And we're going to find those action steps stemming from Acts chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, if you could open them on up. And if you could actually stand with me as we read the scripture. This, is, uh, this takes place just weeks after Jesus has risen from the grave. And after he's risen from the grave, before he goes back to be with the Heavenly Father, he tells his disciples to do something. We call it the Great Commission, but this is basically the intro to it. He says this, go everywhere to all kinds of people, not just Jews, not just our neighborhood. Go to all kinds of people and make them followers of me. Make them disciples. And he doesn't say, and then teach them all about theology, about the Old Testament, the New Testament, get them volunteering in the nursery department. And then at some point along the way when they're qualified, maybe they should consider baptism if they're super spiritual. He doesn't say that. He says, go into all the world making disciples and baptizing them. And then just weeks after that, we have the Holy Spirit given to the new believers. So God is now literally with mankind and humanity is, is, is walking with God within him. And, um, and when that happens, Peter addresses this huge crowd of haters who are not fans of Jesus. In fact, they're totally cool with him being crucified. And Peter gives them not a sermon, but like an in-your-face challenge. And at the end of that challenge where he's speaking about who Jesus is, actually just two verses before this, it starts by saying this, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God who has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brother, what, what, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Again, there's not this, you know, <laughs> segue of years and years. Repent, be baptized. Every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who here are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They were a movement of 120 people and all of a sudden they got three grand on top of that who are like, we believe and now we're going to be baptized. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is the kickoff of the movement of Christianity that in 2018, we are still fleshing out the legacy of. We're still taking steps into. It's just as relevant today as it was back then. Amen? Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. If you've got your notes, you're going to realize that on your notes, um, it looks radically different than the other ones, because today we're, I'm going to give you a little bit of what we go through with our baptism class. When someone actually wants to be baptized, we want to make sure that they know what they're getting into. What is baptism all about? And so we've got a couple of circles here where it's going to be kind of an arts and crafts time, but we, I'm going to start off with what we actually believe as far as what do our articles of faith say? What did Dick Seavers and Vernon Johnson and then other people as they helped us out with this develop into saying, we want to ask scripture, what does scripture say about baptism and live off of that? It says this, we believe that Christian baptism is an act of obedience following a person's salvation. And we have, you know, a lot of us come from traditions where we were baptized as babies, which is understandable. And if your parents did that, or if as parents you did that, that's within a church system, it makes perfect sense. And parents are trying to do a good job by raising their kid in the church. And that's why that happens. But within scripture, we see it being something that follows a believer's choice to, to, to surrender their life to Jesus, as opposed to a choice that's made for them. It is the immersion of a believer in water. We'll talk about why in just a second. That testifies to their faith of the, in the crucified, buried, and risen Savior, and their union with him in death to sin and resurrection to a new life. It's also a sign of fellowship and identification with the visible body of Christ. Baptism is not a saving act of grace. Wait, what? Nor is it necessary for salvation. Whoa. We'll get to it. The New Testament biblical pattern is salvation, baptism, and association with the local church. And so what is baptism all about? I mean, what, what are the words that Peter gave us to repent and be baptized. How do we, what does that, why, what does that, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, first off, it's a picture of the fact that it, when we're baptized, it's saying all of me is transformed by all of him, which of course brings us to a bowl of salsa. One of the things that, you think I'm kidding. One of the things that we see in scripture is that baptism is a very, 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 very important word, but it's not a spiritual word. It's not a, a sacred word, at least not back when it, was first, when it first came about. Back when it first came about, it was a word that was a very common word. It was a, it was a word that it comes from the word baptizo. And actually, there's two words. There's two words for baptism. One's bapto and one's baptizo. Both of them mean to dip. When you have a bowl of salsa, do you eat the salsa with a spoon? <laughs> Hold on. Some of you do. Uh, I, I do. Um, what do we oftentimes, if we're going to a Mexican restaurant, how do we eat salsa? That's right. And what do we do with that chip? We baptize it. That is correct. 
We baptize that trip, and some of you are like, this is just heretical. No, baptizo means to immerse. In fact, if you went through your Bible and you scratched out baptism or baptize, because it's just a Greek word, and all the rest of the Greek words were translated into English. If you just scratched out baptize, and you scratch out and you put what it really meant, it really means to immerse or dunk. It means to dunk. It doesn't, and, and, and that's why a lot of us grew up in church traditions where we sprinkled or what have you. The reason at Manuka Bible Church why we actually dunk people underwater, we immerse them, is because that's what baptizo means. But here's the cool thing about bapto and baptizo. Two different words. They come from the same origin, but they mean two separate things. Baptizo is the idea that you're immersing something that changes it. There was this Greek philosopher 200 years before Jesus was born. And uh, he was a Greek philosopher, but he also liked making pickles, like you do. And so he had this thing where he uses both bapto and baptizo in the same recipe book. And he, he talks about when, you know, first off, you're going to take that cucumber and you're going to rinse it off to get it clean. And you're going to you, you dip it in boiling water. But dip it is bapto. You know, you could get, but, but when you bring it out, it's still a cucumber, right? It's just a boiled cucumber, but it's still a cucumber. However, if you dunk that into vinegar, it no longer is a cucumber. It now is what? A pickle. And that is baptizo. He says, bapto it in boiling water and then baptizo it in vinegar. Because all of a sudden, those effects are permanent. And everyone knows they're permanent. Back in the, in the Old Testament... Um, and before, you, you have people that were getting baptized, and, and what they were basically doing was this. Um, again, baptizo was an, a common word. Um, they, they would be um, taking a, a vat of dye to dye some clothing. If they wanted it to be uh, clothing like, uh, like something red, like Tim's sweater, right? Tim, okay, like if we wanted Tim's sweater to be red, they would take the cloth, in the, in the nor, normal natural cloth, so it's got natural uh, off-white and tan colors from the loom, from the cotton, or whatever you got, and then you would take those colors just as they were, just the, the cotton just as it was or what have you, and you would baptize it into the red dye. And when it comes out, there's not a single person on planet earth that would say that's the same as it was when it came in there. It's showcasing a transformation, a complete transformation. This is now a red garment. And all of a sudden people are like, you know what, that's kind of like God. God kind of does that with us too, because God takes us just as we are. He takes us just as we are, natural just as we are, but he loves us so much he doesn't keep us that way. He does something that transforms us, and not just part of us, he transforms us in such a way that everyone else, there's no way that they would look at us and say we're the same as we were before. Baptism then was something that where they said, you know what, that's actually a good way to publicly showcase the fact that God has done something in our life. It's already taken place, and now we get a chance to publicly declare that. So when people were coming from Persia down to Egypt or Egypt going up to Persia and they'd stop over the night in Jerusalem, they'd hear this good news about this one true God. And after putting their faith in this one true God, they would say, what do we do now? Very much like the people said to Peter. And people would say, you've repented. Now you should be baptized. And when Jesus proclaims that, he wants a picture where all of a sudden this world is not having the bland individual they're actually seeing that this person's been transformed, just like a chip being baptized into salsa. There is a radical change that has brought flavor and life. All of me is transformed by all of him, but all, all of me is transformed by all of him who is greater than sin and fear. Because again, we don't baptize people in salsa. As nice as that sounds, kind of you need goggles or something, but as cool as that sounds, we baptize people in what? That's right. That was not a trick question. Water. 
And, and the thing is that we think of water as a wonderful thing. It's recreation. We love water. You grew up as a kid probably with swimmies. Woo, I love swimming. I go to the local pool. Booyah. That's great. However, back in the day, not so much so. People hated water. I mean, for the Hebrews, it was something that was cataclysmically bad. Um, and the reason it was cataclysmically bad is because everyone knew that it was something that was dangerous. Everyone knew someone who had been drowned in water. Water is something that it's chaotic. You can't predict the weather. You can't predict if, if something's going to happen. And all of a sudden, like things that, that just seem somewhat, you know, docile turn into very, very dangerous scenarios. In fact, even in the Hebrew narrative, the understanding of water was a picture and a symbol of sin. Or at least of a picture of before God actually got his hands dirty with the work of, of what he wanted to do in his creative work in, in our lives. In the Hebrew description of, of the creation of the world, it says that before God actually created the mountains and vegetation and DNA and, and mammals and humanity and reptiles and all that stuff, before he actually did that, the earth was formless and void and covered with water. What is water? It's a picture of before God actually gets his hands dirty and actually starts to create what his intention, his intention is within the creation in us. All of a sudden, you've got a, the, the account of God being absolutely just devastated with, this, with how civilization has gone. Civilization, civilization has gone in such a way that you have uh, just, just the most toxic scenario possible. And God says, I'm going to end this. I'm going to bring judgment on this entire world. And he cho chooses to judge the entire world in the time of Noah with what? A flood of water. Water is a picture of judgment. It's a picture of tragedy. It's a picture of, of a life separated from God. And we have um, in the account of Moses, Moses is going to liberate the Hebrew slaves. This is wonderful. It's good news. But this is the part of the movie where all of a sudden you see there's a twist. Moses doesn't have a clear access out. He's running away from these armies that are chasing him down. And he can't get to where God wants him to be in the promised land because something is standing in the way between him and God's promised land. What is standing in between? way of Moses and where God wants him to go. Water, the Red Sea. But God shows him something. Uh, I'm, I'm actually stronger and more powerful than water. What does God do? He parts it. He parts it. Fast forward to the time of Jesus. Jesus is actually, he's, he's ministering to these disciples and he's training them. These guys are like all like youth group kids. These are, these are not like full-grown, most of them aren't full-grown adults. Most of them are people that are scared. And again, he takes a bunch of scared kids and a couple of timid adults and he takes them out in a boat like you do when people don't know how to swim. And he takes them into the Sea of Galilee, like you do when people don't, not only know how, don't know how to swim, but in an area where it's very, very common for the Sea of Galilee to be super placid. But before God invented and created Tom Skilling, when they didn't have accurate weather forecasts, you could be out there fishing on the Sea of Galilee and everything's kosher until all of a sudden, coming over the Golan Heights, this storm front comes in and turns what seems to be a placid field trip, youth group, trip with Jesus into, a, into an absolute calamity. And so all of a sudden, these guys, these kids are on this boat freaking out. The waves are battling the boat and they go, we are going to die. We are going to die. Whose idea was this? We didn't even get our parent permission signed. This is, this is what is going on. Why would he take us out here? And what is he doing? He's sleeping. 
Why is it that this thing, this picture of chaos and sin that we've understood from childhood, that our whole Hebrew tradition has conveyed to us, is now battling us? It's taking us over, just like sin. It's just like sin. It, you kind of get into it a little bit. You think you got it in control, and all of a sudden, no, it's in control, and it can drown you. And we are out here, and we are going to drown. It's exactly what's going to happen. How is it that this doesn't even bother him? How is it this isn't even like disturbing his peace? He is snoring, and we are out here going to die. So they wake up Jesus, and what does Jesus do? He stands up and with a word, peace. And what do they say? Who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? In another scenario, he has Peter actually walk out on the waves. And as long as Peter is looking at Jesus, the calamity of life seems to not disturb him. Is it still chaotic around him? Absolutely. Are the conditions changed? Circumstances shifted and everything's all good? Uh Uh-uh. Still is crazy. Crazy town. But there's a difference. Jesus is greater than their sin and their fear. If Jesus is in the boat, they're okay. Have you repented? If you've repented, have you been baptized? If not, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What you're proclaiming is not you are an uber spiritual person. You're simply saying, I'm proclaiming that Jesus is in the boat in my life. He is someone who transforms all of me by all of him. He's greater than my sin and my fear, and he is my identity and my family. See, because baptism is kind of like a bowl of salsa. It's complete immersion. It's kind of like a boat in a a torrent of sea, but it's also kind of like a wedding ring. One of the things that, that I, I, man, I, I love my wedding ring. Um, I don't take it off because I'm terrified that I'm going to lose it. I'm a flake. My, I remember my, looking at my dad when he would ever, he, the only time he would take off his wedding ring would be when he was going to bed and he like, would take off his wedding ring and put it on his nightstand. And I'm like, that's a man. He could take off a wedding ring and in the morning he remembers to put it back on. That's a man. And then I realized when I became a man, I'm not that kind of man. Because if I take off my wedding ring, it's gone. It's gonna, it'll be lost to civilization or my dog will eat it and then we know what happens then. And so there's no way I'm going to take off my wedding ring. But what if I did? What if I said, I'm, I'm almost 42. I'm going to be 42 in a month. I am not a flaky, forgetful person like I was when I was in my early 20s. I'm a man. I'm the type of man that could take a wedding ring off and put it on the nightstand. Type of man. And remember it in the morning. Man. And what if I did that? And then reality check happens and I forgetfully flaky, forget it somewhere, it's gone. Am I still married? Why? I lost my wedding ring. This is the souvenir of your wedding day. How am I still married if I've lost the symbol of my wedding day? Because it's just a symbol. My wedding ring is just a symbol. June 13th, 1998 happened. On that day, I got married to my wife. I pledged my life to her. She pledged her life to me. On that day, I was married. I, on that day, I got this wedding ring and it let, let everyone know I'm off the market. She's off the market. We are now for each other. That's what happened on June 13th, 1998. If I lost this wedding ring, however, I would still be married because that day happened. This is a symbol of that day, but it's not that day. We, we, we know that, that a, a wedding ring doesn't make a person married. If you're single and you put on a wedding ring, it doesn't all of a sudden, bling, all of a sudden you're married. You can't put like a Bilbo bag and go, not married, married. That doesn't work. (laughs) It's just a symbol. We know this because the thief on the cross, Jesus said that today you're going to be with me in paradise. He didn't say, you know, you put your trust in me and I appreciate that, but we're kind of up here on the cross. 
If only you had been baptized, we could have worked things out, but I apologize. He doesn't say that. He says, today you'll be with me in, in paradise. Why? Because like a wedding ring, baptism is just a symbol. And yet at the same time, it's more than a symbol. Why? Because it is identifying the fact that I am in his family. Now, some of you, you can't wear a wedding ring because of work or, or you have arthritis or whatever. But for, for me, let me just give, I'll make it personal. I wear a wedding ring because, again, I'm making a statement. I'm off the market. I am, I am Julie's husband. That June 13th, 1998 happened, right? But if I was someone who said to you, you know what, here's the deal. Um, sometimes I take my wedding ring off, like if I leave the house. When I'm away from my wife, I, I take my wedding ring off. Sometimes when I'm at work with my friends, if I'm going to the bar, or, or depending on if I'm around a certain group of people, it's not that I'm against Julie. I love Julie. I, you got to know, I love Julie. But it's just that I just, I don't want people to think that I'm like exclusively Julie's. I don't want people to think like I'm like crazy about, you know, being married to her. I don't want people to know that I'm married and that's cool. But honestly, I'm, I'm more open-minded than that. That's kind of what I want to project. And when I'm around Julie, oh man, the ring's back on and it's all good. But just when I'm away from right, because I, I don't want people, I don't want, these people, they have, they're going to form an opinion about me that's going to make me into something I don't know if I want to convey. If I said that to you, you have every right to punch me straight in the throat. <laughs> what kind of a jerk says that? The kind of a jerk, the kind of a jerk who's got a, something wrong in that relationship. And I would say equally so with your relationship with God. If you have a relationship with God where you're like, oh, no, no, I love Jesus. Like, Jesus and I, woo, I'm going to hell. I'm not going to hell. Yes. But I don't want to be baptized because, like, I don't want people to think that I'm, like, that super crazy about Jesus. Like, I'm a religious nut. Or, I, I mean, I just, can I just, like, believe and that's it? And not have to, like, have any type of public declaration that I'm all in or something? Because, I mean, again, people are going to form an opinion about me. I just don't know if I feel comfortable with that. That's a messed up relationship. And it's actually a relationship that God's called you out of. Some of you have repented, and, you, and you're like, I am now identifying with what Christ has done for me on the cross through the death and resurrection of him. I'm identifying with the, the family that he, he's the, the, Scripture calls him the groom and the church is the bride. When I'm baptized, I'm baptized as, as a part of this church family, this community, and I'm actually publicly declaring that. And that is why baptism is just a symbol, but it's more than just a symbol, very much like a relationship. All of me transformed by all of him who is greater than sin and fear, who is my identity and my family. And finally, <clears throat> baptism is not only like, like a bull of salsa, a boat, a wedding ring, but it's also kind of like a bike. Um, one of the things that I've always wondered is in that whole thing with Jesus where he's, he's talking about See, you get a bike seat and got the chain. Um, when Jesus is talking about going into all the world and proclaiming this baptism, proclaiming the good news of him and having people repent and then be baptized, one of the things that I, that I always wondered was, was kind of what we started out with. Why is it that it's such a one-two type of thing? Believe and then be baptized. Why, why isn't there like a long period of time where people get qualified? Like you have to, you know, you get spiritual enough to be baptized. Why does it seem like all a person has to do to qualify to be baptized is actually be, say, I need Jesus and I'm broken, and he's the one who's made me whole through what he's done on the cross. And then instantly you're qualified to be baptized. 
That kind of has blown my mind. One of the coolest things is watching people who grew up and they, either they were baptized as babies or they never were baptized. And, and they're like in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. And all of a sudden they're saying, I want, I want to now, I've never done this, but I want to do this now. Or I, I, actually, it's going to be me and my kids and we're going to step into this together. I, I just think that that is one of the coolest things in the world. Why? Because Jesus said that right after a person is saved, they immediately have the opportunity and the, the calling and the command to be baptized. And I think that the reason is, is, is part of Jesus's strategy that has a whole lot to do with this. How many of you learned how to ride a bike with training wheels? Okay. Now, at some point, you gave up those, right? Because if you saw like a 55-year-old person riding a bicycle with training wheels, you're like, let's talk, <laughs> Right? But, if, but if, the reason that parents do that, for the most part, and they don't just like say, okay, you're, here's a bicycle, here's a really awesome steep hill, go. And the reason that most parents, some of your parents may have done that, but the reason that most parents don't, the reason they put on these training wheels is because of the fact that they believe that if I help my kid with the stability, they'll be able to learn other important things like steering and braking. My sister Sarah, um, she, she learned everything on a bicycle except for braking, and then she w- just went down a hill right into the back of a parked Toyota Moon van, total face plant. It was hilarious. That, but the reason that, that parents put on training wheels is because of the fact that this is something that will give them the stability to learn other things, learn how to steer, pedal, brake, so that those can come off. And they could have the stability to, to get into the awkwardness of riding a bicycle without the training wheels. But the training wheels are there to build up the confidence and the stability. I believe this is why Jesus said, believe, and then immediately you've got the ability to be baptized. Whether you're 10 or 110, you believe and be baptized. And because of the fact that when you're baptized, it's not like, okay, let's get all the people who are the most antagonistic about Christianity and let's surround you with them and now we're going to dunk you. No, you get baptized amongst the community of believers. At, at this church, the thing that I love is that when a person gets baptized, they're going down under the water. And, and when they go down under the water, um, they have that, and I've told you about this, this is the coolest thing. If you get baptized, you have that experience like when you jump into a pool. It's like you go down and all of a sudden, all the sound, and there's like the band's playing the music, everyone's singing. All the sound's like there, and all of a sudden, you know, it's, everything's muffled, right? You're hearing the bass. You're not down there for that long, but I mean, you're hearing, everything's muffled. And all of a sudden, when you're brought back up, everything's still muffled because the, all that water is still in your ear canal, but now it's draining off. And as it's draining off and you're coming up, and you're taking your first breath, the first audible sounds that enter into your ear is what? Cheering. Cheering. Celebration. Because you're so amazing? Because Jesus is. Amen. And they've had a chance to watch you identify with Jesus. And you know what's so cool about that? When you're baptized, you are proclaiming all of this to a group of people who are on your side, your church family that are cheering you on so that when you leave here, you could take those training wheels off, those training wheels of boldness off, and you go into a world where when you identify with Jesus, when you make decisions for Christ, when you hear nothing, you can do it because you've had the training wheels of boldness to proclaim that very truth amongst the people that are behind you. And that is one of the sweetest moments 
for a person, for a believer to experience. What is baptism all about? It's about that. It's about a picture of me being transformed by all of, all of me, not just some of me, all of me by all of him. I'm transformed. That he's greater than my fear and my sin. That I'm identified with him and, he's, and I'm in his family. And he has given me the boldness that I can go out of here and live out and flesh out the very thing that I was portraying, portraying in that moment. Have you repented? Are you a Christian? Have you been baptized yet? If not, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Step in and you will see what God has in store for you. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray that for those of us who claim to be in you, we have a relationship with you, but we've, this particular command that you've called us into as believers has been one step removed. Whatever reason, God, and for how long over long we've been mulling it over, I pray that you help us cross the line today that you help us step into the reality that we are public, public proclaimers within this community of our association and our connection to you, of your forgiveness of us. Lord, I pray for anyone, if, if they're on, even on the outside of even making their first decision for you, that this will be a motivating reality, that they realize that you're calling them not just into a belief, but into a family of believers. And that they too, God, will step into that act a public proclamation of what you've accomplished in salvation in their hearts and their lives and their souls. And we will give you the thanks and the glory as we see that happen. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. See you next week, folks.